Uh, well, here we are, comfortably ensconced on the second day of January in yet another new year. And without going into great details, I will tell you that my house is bereft of alcohol. And I can only sit here and enjoy some Rubidoux tea sent from a friend in Tanzania. South African Rubidoux via Tanzania in a crumpled, kicked-in box that arrived. And uh, some of the kindest flowers around, but that's a whole other story. So, you know, doing all these recordings, sometimes it just, sometimes they just end, right? You know, be recording, batteries will run out, I'll get distracted. Some other extraneous circumstance happens, like perhaps someone hands me a glass of wine. Or I fall into another conversation that just shouldn't be recorded, if you know what I mean. So, it just so happens that some of these situations happen to have happened on New Year's Eve. And once you have a couple of them, all of a sudden you can glue them together. And if they don't end, well... Well, they just, it just goes to another one, right? So these are uh, the pieces without endings, but together. They shall frame something interesting in the name of personal exploration, if nothing else. So I believe this starts off with a trip on New Year's Eve to Pender Island and a visit uh, to uh, a Jack London book. But I could be completely wrong. But I'm sure you'll indulge me in a little bit of exploration on this montage-style postcards from Gravelly Beach. Indeed, it is New Year's Eve, and we're basically camping in a cabin. It's Pender Island. North Pender? I think we're on North Pender. And, well, we came out from Tawasin. Is it South Pender? Are we on South Pender? There's a North and a South Pender, you see. And we came out on the ferry from uh, Tawasin and stopped at Saturna Island. No, Gabriel, Gabriola Island. Then went to Saturna Island, or was it Main Island? And then switched on another ferry to Pender Island. And uh, so we've seen some islands, and we've seen some seagulls, and now it's, uh, well, it's about 11.30, so leading up to New Year's Eve, well, uh, we're sitting here in front of a crackling wood stove, and so I thought, uh, Jack London, to build a fire, and uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, as tempted as I am, because it's a great little story, but we'll read the first bit of that, and then a little bit of Jack Kerouac's San Francisco Blues, and uh, some of my own... Uh, little bits and pieces of uh, verse, as it were. So, for New Year's Eve, settle on in for postcards from Gravelly Beach. Hey, this is present day Dave. That was your bonus intro and the part where I said this would have been episode 21, which is a null point. I shouldn't even be telling you this. Well, here's Jack London from To Build a Fire. Day had broken, cold and gray, exceedingly cold and gray 
when the man turned aside from the main Yukon Trail and climbed the high earth bank, where a dim and little-traveled trail led eastward through the fat spruce timberland. It was a steep bank, and he paused for breath at the top, excusing the act to himself by looking at his watch. It was nine o'clock. There was no sun nor hint of sun, though there was not a cloud in the sky. It was a clear day, and yet there seemed an intangible pall over the face of things, a subtle gloom that made the day dark, and that was due to the absence of sun. This fact did not worry the man. He was used to the lack of sun. It had been days since he had seen the sun, and he knew that a few more days must pass before that cheerful orb due south would just peep above the skyline and dip immediately from view. The man flung a look back along the way he had come. The Yukon lay a mile wide and hidden under three feet of ice. On top of this ice were as many feet of snow. It was all pure white, rolling in gentle undulations where the ice jams of the freeze-up had formed. North and south, as far... As his eye could see... It was unbroken white, save for a dark hairline that curved and twisted from around the spruce-covered island to the south, and that curved and twisted away into the north where it disappeared behind another spruce-covered island. This dark hairline was the trail, the main trail, that led south 500 miles to the Chilkoot Pass, Dia and Saltwater, and that led north 70 miles to Dawson, and still onto the north 1,000 miles to Nalato, and finally to San Michel on, Bar- on the Bering Sea a thousand miles and half a thousand more. But all of this, all the mysterious far-reaching hairline trail, the absence of the sun from the sky, the tremendous cold and the strangeness and weirdness of it all, made no impression on the man. It was not because he was long used to it. He was a newcomer in the land, uh, Chiquaco, and this was his first winter. The trouble with him that he was, with, he was without imagination. He was quick and alert in the things of life, but only in the things and not in the significances. Fifty degrees below zero meant eighty-odd degrees of frost. Such fact impressed him as being cold and uncomfortable, but that was all. It did not lead him to meditate upon his frailty as a creature of temperature, and upon man's frailty in general, able only to live within certain narrow limits of heat and cold. And from there on... It did not lead him to any conjectural field of immortality in man's place in the universe. Fifty degrees below, zero stood for a bite of frost that hurt and must be guarded against by the use of mittens, ear flaps, warm moccasins, and thick socks. Fifty degrees below zero to him was precisely fifty degrees below zero. That there should be anything more to it that there, than that was just a thought that never entered his head. As he turned to go on, he spat speculatively. There was a sharp, explosive cackle that startled him. He spat again and again in the air. Before it could fill to the snow, the spittle crackled. He knew that at fifty below, spittle crackled on the snow, and the spittle had crackled in the air. Undoubtedly, it was colder than fifty below. How much colder? He did not know. But the temperature did not matter. He was bound for the old claim on the left fork at Henderson Creek where the boys were already. They had come over across the divide from the Indian Creek country while he had done some other roundabout way to look at the possibilities of getting out logs in the spring from the islands in the Yukon. 
He had been to camp by six o'clock, a bit after dark, it was true, but the boys would be there, a fire would be going, and a hot supper would be ready. As for lunch, he pressed his hand against the protruding bundle in his jacket. It was also under his shirt, wrapped up in a handkerchief and lying against his naked skin. It was the only way to keep his biscuits from freezing. He smiled agreeably to himself as he thought of those biscuits, each cut open and soft in bacon grease and each encased in a generous slice of fried bacon. Mmm, bacon. He plunged in among the big spruce trees. The trail was faint. A foot of snow had fallen since the last sled had passed over, and he was glad he was without a sled traveling light. In fact, he carried nothing but his lunch wrapped in the handkerchief. He was surprised, however, at the cold. It certainly was cold, he concluded, as he rubbed his numb nose and cheekbones with his mittened hand. He was a warm-whiskered man, but the hair on his face did not protect his high cheekbones and the eager nose that thrust itself aggressively into the frosty air. At the man's heels trotted a dog, a big native husky, the proper wolf dog, gray-coated without any visible or temperamental differences from his brother, the wild wolf. Uh, I like the part where you could hear the dog scratching and the collar rattling and also someone blowing their nose. Hey, so that's when that recording just sort of ended. But there's more. Here's a recording that was made later that same evening, I do believe. This is uh, what's a little message to Napoleon. You see, I'd just gotten back from a trip to France around this time, I suppose. Hey, Napoleon, your caskets, why do you have to mess it up? It's not like I have reason to care. Here on top of your Arc de Triomphe, celebrating the farmers, dead bastards, buried cold, scatters families, told to feel pride as your consolation prize. Do you ever feel unloved or just condescended? You under Willow Tree, squared up in St. Helena's rocks? Was it ever enough? When did you plan to stop? Perhaps in your next circuit we have a baguette and talk about the good times. You know them all. Listed in marble next to your heaving pompadour over wine on the sand. Tell me when the fire started. When did you know? Just a couple answers for me because I'm greedy too, thirsty for life, questing for quiet and paints over battlefields and chorused congratulations. Do you not realize the power of restraint, the art of deflection? Now on chomps, I'm not sure your reflecting face at odds with the dereliction now where you are. Do you room with the Caesars or the Saints?
nothing says holiday, good time, festive cheer. Like free verse poetry with obtuse historical references and underlying political punditry. But wait, but wait, there's more. If this file name is anything accurate at all, this will be uh, me telling a little story about when I first arrived in Japan, and it was right around New Year's, and I was surprised. So hey, what can I tell you? Happy New Year's to you, eh? You know, I was thinking though uh, about uh, when I first went to Japan. It was right around holiday time, and I thought New Year's Eve everyone would be blowing stuff up and it'd be this great, big crazy festival and partying in the streets. But it wasn't the case at all. It was like eerily quiet, right? And like New Year's is like the big deal in Japan, and. Uh, you know, Christmas, some people kind of buy into Christmas because it's like the Japanese are good consumers, and if they say buy stuff for a holiday, they're like, great, we'll do it. What's it called? But uh, uh, New Year's Eve, I went out on a stroll to see what was going on from my little uh, dingy apartment in this little small village, and I went down to the local uh, shrine, like the Jinja, and uh, like all over the place, there's just these little pocket shrines. It'll be like a little small building and one of these tori arches, like the two uprights and the two things across, a tori, they call them, and, uh, and like a bell, usually with a hempen rope. And I went there, and there's just a bunch of dudes standing around a fire in an oil barrel, smoking cigarettes and shooting the shit and drinking a little bit of sake. And it was crazy, you know, because I just walked up into the kind of the circle and the people hanging out. They're eating mikans, the mandarin oranges, you know, the, you know, the oranges festive oranges and uh, uh, and, and and so I, I ate my mikan and I bummed a smoke just to see what would happen you know like start a conversation and it was just crazy because everyone just like acted like uh, you know I just was there part of the routine even though I was a wild long haired bearded guy gene the likes of which these parts had never seen before but anyway it was uh, pretty intense and uh uh, just seeing uh, is kind of like restrained festive kind of thing but then the next day that's when all like the really celebrating goes down the first day of the year and everyone just sort of hangs out around their houses and eats and feasts or else makes the circuit around to like their different neighbors and friends and they sit around on the floor around the, these uh, tables and sometimes like they have the heater underneath the table they call them a kotatsu and uh and you hang out and you just eat food, you eat mochi and, and there's enokitake mushrooms that I was growing and sometimes crab where I was living in Totori but they eat every little tiny bit of the crab except for the hard bits and uh, and all sorts of specialized foods that you really only see at New Year's and then once all the New Year's festivity is over a couple of days later you don't see really those foods near as much uh, especially the mikans too you hardly see mikans except for festive period kind of crazy Whoa. All right, there's a little uh, electrical disturbance on that last clip. Maybe that's why that never got released. Well, I hope your ears survived okay. I was in the midst of a bit of a horticultural experiment in the garage, which involved uh, a large ballast thing, but that's a long story, not what you're here for. 
But perhaps, since you are here, and I've got you sitting around this long, I can finish up with a little bit of uh, free verse of my own. Since, you know, I kind of took the easy way out and recycled this old stale audio for you. Hmm. Let us go now to the present. Comfortably lonely, cabin porch, hardback book, foggy, overslept, hardback chair. A backpack hangs on a wooden peg, empty, but for deja vu. Trembling hands, loosening clothes, fingers slipping underside the clasp. Coarse canvas dream and well-oiled leather boots, high arches, moving away from here. Even before painting the rooms onto a circus tent, the tall poles cantilevered, and the kids with summer, tan- summer suntan lines on open feet. Saguaro sunset scenery flashed by in a clackety thwack, think 16mm print. Grandpa coughing, wheezing, me jotting down on essentials, collecting pottery along the way. The movement is key, I recollect, while stopping still and tucking my boots under a hearty mantle of foreboding calm. The movement is key, I recollect, while stopping still. Between night and light, the space between night and light, when bats dive like fiery planes, Battles over borders, foggy lines on faded maps drawn by someone else away for reasons forgotten, arbitrary, false. Rusting wreckage overgrown by jungle vines, reclaiming tools of sadness, seeking a final vestige of dignity from deathly slow grip. Woodpeckers clamoring, waking bats firebombing until sunrise.
so we burst forcefully and gracefully into this new year. All the bright-eyed vigor that the new year brings. What have you got in mind? Hmm. Well, for me, I've got all these projects strewn about my little studio here on Mosquito Creek. I've got hemp cords tacked to the wall with clothespins holding up little notes and outlines for these, this big grand novel project I've been working on for a hundred damn years. Maybe we'll see that, that move along a little bit this year. In the meantime, I had the pleasure the other night of spending an hour and change with DJ Anon and DJ Snailmail on Santa Cruz Public Radio, the Right Now Show, talking all about the Letters from Russia project. Indeed, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've certainly heard me read from the Letters from Russia. Well, it's a bunch of letters written by this guy obsessively with Napoleon's army in Russia. Talked all about my inspirations and the pretext and the historical significance and all that kind of stuff. So I'll send that down the wire as well. In the meantime, check postcards from gravelybeach.com for info about the music I played in this episode and other notes and descriptions and a snapshot and all that. You'll really enjoy it, I'm sure. There in that hole, Gates lost, he's lost, man left his lurch.